Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. James chapter 5 and 16, we're going to huddle around this verse for a couple of weeks. This is a very powerful verse. And um, it kind of talks about confessing our faults one to another. That word faults means just side slips or places where we slip up, whether intentional or unintentional, just things that we do accidentally um, or, or fall into. But, but it says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Everyone say Healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I wonder why it says that you need to be healed when you have faults. It's interesting. You'd think it would say that you need to be healed when you have disease. But the scripture does something very interesting, and there's a very powerful and deep truth right here in this scripture, that whenever we make a mistake, it, we sin in our life, it brings some damage to our life. And we're going to see a little bit later in this, in this sermon how God chooses to save not only what we need salvation from, but he chooses to save our hearts, our lives, our bodies, our spiritual man. He saves all of it. Amen. He's a holistic God. Amen. And I'm so glad about it. Amen. Non-GMO. He's, he's so good for you. <laughs> He's so healthy for you. And I'm, I'm thankful for a God who reaches to us when we don't know how to reach up. And when we run out of faith, he still believes in us. And when we run out of grace, he's got more for us. When we run out of strength, he's our strength. Someone should put an amen right there. Lord, we thank you for this day. We ask you to help us as we pray through this month and as we seek you. Lord, this church is not a business. This is an outpost of heaven. This is a street address to a place where heaven populates the earth. And we're thankful that your, your power is here. We're thankful that your presence is here. There's nothing like the church of the living God. And so we thank you for being a participant with us as we participate in this word. And we ask you to plant it deep in our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. I used to be, <clears throat> now I'm going to say this, this was in my 20s. But I used to be very naive about marketing and how social marketing works and how different aspects of getting into your pocket to get your money works. And, um, you know, basically social engineering. I was really naive to that. And we went to the inauguration of President Bush. I'm not political. I'm just saying I was there, okay? Um, we went to that inauguration, me and a few friends of mine, and... While we were at the inauguration, they had a gift shop. And I didn't recognize that you're most vulnerable in times of transition. <laughs> Whenever you get excited about something or you're, you're ready to go do something, and when someone offers you something like, hey, buy this, those are the moments when you're the weakest and they can get into your pocket and, and they can get a sale. It's called an emotional purchase. 
And so we were out and we were having a good time and we were at some different festivities and we had gone and met with the, the uh, governor of the state. We had a little sit down with him and we got all behind him and had pictures at his desk and, and uh, several of my friends that have gone were good friends with him. And so um, the, the, the elder that went with us, Reverend Putnam, he, he was a very stately man, very political driven and he knew a lot of people. And so... Whenever we decided to come back, um, we went through a gift shop, and I noticed that some of the other preachers were getting a few little things, and 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 I was like, oh, I gotta get these cufflinks. These cufflinks are amazing. I've gotta get those. And so I ended up spending like the most out of all the preachers, and they're looking at me like I'm like, hey, you only get to go to one inauguration in what? How many years? So I'm gonna, and, and I left the gift shop like they, I, I had sucker written across my forehead, I'm sure, because I spent more money than any of the other preachers in that gift shop because I was so excited about being at the inauguration and I had to wear them today because I never get to wear these. I don't usually get to wear a French cuff shirt, but just to make the point, I had to prove to you, I did have inauguration uh, cufflinks. So they're looking at me kind of silly and that was very young and naive days. And, and then about two, three years ago, I went to Disney World. And if you've ever been to Disney World, if you leave Disney World, you cannot leave without going through the gift shop. You know what I'm talking about. And so it was very interesting to me that I now noticed what was going on. You know, they, they get you excited on the way in and you buy the ticket. You know, like, do you want to go to this? And the, and the kids are like, yeah. Do you want to go to this? And the kids are like, yeah. And every time the kids are excited, it's just going up another $40, right, for the ticket. So you're like, by the end of the day, you're like using all of your kids, you know, college fund and everything else you have saved up and, and you go home broke and hopefully happy. But then when you're leaving, the kids are very upset because they have to leave, right? They're crying. They're like, no, I want to see Mickey more one more time. And then they put you, they, they send you out through the gift shop. So you have to get Johnny a little gift to make him happy to go home. And the little stuffed animal of Mickey is $500 and... There goes your retirement. Now you've lost the kids' college fund and your retirement. All in one trip to Universal Studios, you know. And, to, you know, and so I, I noticed um, that they prey on that, that they prey on your, your weakness at that moment. And so I was interested in studying the power of transition and those things that go on. And I heard a sermon this week that was really good on that. Um, and I pulled a couple of things that he said, but more importantly, I wanted to start with the understanding of how important it is to know how to pray, because if you don't have a good prayer life, you're very vulnerable in the changes and the transitions of life. Change and transition are not the same thing. And if I'm looking right at you, it's because God wants to speak right to you. No, I'm just kidding. If you feel like I'm t reading your mail at all, it's just the Holy Ghost talking through me, and I'm very glad about that. Okay, it's the Lord speaking to your heart. But what you have to understand is in psychology, they don't see change the same as they see transition. In psychology, they see change as something that affects you from the outside, whether from your circumstance, your environment, uh, whether globally or locally, but something that is placed upon you that requires you to respond to it from an outside source, externally, okay? And so the way that they see transition is something internal that you have to deal with, whether it's a difficulty with the way you process things or the way you perceive things, because they're not the same thing. You can have a change happen in your life and you not change to match that change because you didn't transition, 
So some people get really frustrated in their walk with God. The way it applies to us from scripture is that we see that there are times when our life changes, whenever God even comes in and wants to move us into something different in our life. And there is no transformation without having the, the change of transition. You understand what I mean? Like I'm saying the two words, but transition is actually where transformation takes place because God himself said, don't go ministering anywhere, but go wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. What was that transition? There was going to be a change that took place, but the change only was effective whenever there was something put on the inside first. That's why when you talk about getting healthy, you need to eat right first, then get to the gym, amen? Because you can go to the gym all you want to and stop it mcdonald's on the way home and you're just taking pounds off and putting pounds on uh, somebody's ministering to right now let that bless you there is no way that you can do what god wants you to do and keep praying for change in your life lord change me lord make me new and he said okay uh, it's not the change you thought you were going to get but here you go and then some people, you watch them. I've, I've met people and I talked to them and, and, and 10 years ago, they were still saying the same thing they're saying now. And they've been praying for change those, for, for those 10 years, but they're still stuck in the same complaints. They're still stuck in the same lifestyle. They're still stuck with the same problems. Why? And they're so frustrated. This was supposed to work. I took these promises of God in the book and I tried to put them in my life and I, and I saw a change, but I just couldn't transition. What was happening was they not only, they, they prayed for the change to come, but they didn't transition out of that change through the power of the Holy Ghost that works inside them. They didn't use what God has given them to work from the inside out. Amen, somebody. So what we have to understand is your prayer life is what inspires and what fills you and what gives you the strength to walk through transition, not just change. Change happens to everybody, but transition is a choice. You get to choose whether you're going to go through college and stay in class and stay in school and get that degree. And it's not going to be easy but you have to force yourself. You have to give yourself that mindset that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going till I get this done. This is a goal for me. And I'm going to transition through this four years or whatever it is to get this degree. You have to do it whenever you're living for the Lord all the time. There are things that come up that question your faith and challenge your walk with God. And you have to be decide, you have to have already decided before the change gets there that no matter how difficult the transition that comes off of that change, I'm going to live through it with the power of God's spirit that is within me. Amen. And so you have to do that with the Holy Spirit because you can't do it without it. In other words, change will always come, but it, don't, it doesn't change you without the Holy Ghost working through you. And the only way that you do that is to learn how to pray through these things. Because whether you like it or not, we all like to quit. Amen? When it gets hard, we get a quitting spirit. You need to quit quitting. That's what you need to do. That's what we all need to do. We need to just confess that, Lord, I'm going to be faithful because he rewards faithfulness. Amen? And when he rewards faithfulness, he rewards it with righteousness. He looks at you and said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He wants you to be faithful to something. And we're not asked to be faithful in our walk with God until it works, until the promises show up, until things seem to be making it, until we have the good job and the comfortable opportunities to go on vacation, until everything is paid for and everything looks good and the kids are, are in the right place and they never embarrass their parents in public. Oh, did I go too far? 
okay, maybe not. I'll, I'll find you in a minute. Until you lose your job and then you have to confess that maybe you could have done things a little bit better or maybe you, you change a relationship or you change or you have someone say that they don't lo no longer want to be with you and then you have to confess that now I'm this and I didn't want this label but now I've got to live with this label and how do I transition out of this and how do I stay walking with God when I feel like such a failure and there's other places that I can mention but I just want to tell you that you're not a failure in God. You're a child of God and no matter what label the world puts on you, no matter what change comes to your life. I want you to know that you can transition through it, but you're going to have to pray your way through it. You're not going to get out without a prayer life because your prayer life is the fuel. And I know I'm yelling, but forgive me. I'm excited. Your prayer life is the fuel to your praise. And you will not have a praise in a moment where it seems like God is not performing for you because praise is always linked to performance through the field goal. Yes, through the hoop. Yes, praise instantaneously. When God gives you promises, but they don't show up in a time that you think they should, it's very hard to praise, amen? But when you have a prayer life and when you say, I'm going to be faithful, not when it all gets right, but I'm gonna be faithful like Jesus Christ unto death, amen? We're supposed to be faithful and regardless of what comes and what goes, regardless of what changes. And if we're faithful and we pray our way through it, God will transition us into the maturity and the miracle that he wants us to get out of the change that's come to our life. Amen, somebody. Oh, I hope that helps you today. So we have to learn how to pray. I don't know if you remember when you first started praying, if you're like, I don't know what to do with prayer. <laughs> I don't even know if what I'm praying is legal. It's like, does heaven receive these kind of prayers or do I have to send them with a pastor or what do I got to do? I, I don't even know how. Do I go, go, go talk to pastor's wife? She gives it to pastor and then they get right in. It's like, you know, he's got the free pass because he prays all the time. Go to pastor. I don't know. Or, or maybe you sit in church and you watch people pray and they get really loud and excited and you're like, okay, uh, volume helps prayers get to heaven. That's what we want to do. We want to get louder. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, they use hallelujah a lot. I'm going to use hallelujah. You know, when you're learning, we forget because we've been in, I've been in church all my life. I forget about, I know when to stand up and sit down and pray and say hallelujah, which just means highest praise. And, and I, I, all these things I, I already know, but how do you pray? How do you go to God? How do you talk to God? Do you talk to him in King James's? Like, oh, heavenly father, thou hast lifted my head from the depression and brought me out straightway to a place that floweth a land of milk and honey. Do you, do, I need you to give yourself permission to be a child of God and not talk to Jesus in 17th century King James Version, Okay. He doesn't, nobody has, I don't walk up to Reese and go, brother, how art thou? Has God been good to thee? Do you feel the blessings of the Lord falling on you just now? I don't talk to anybody like that. So why would you talk to God like that? You need to talk to God like you're his child. Give your permission to be a, yourself to be a permit. Uh, give yourself the permission to be a child of God. So what happens when you have a little ADD, your brain's actually three sentences beyond you and you're trying to talk back here. It's like, hey, come back. No, I want to talk about it over here. No, come back. It's like when I have a friend, a comedian friend, guy that I know actually, and 
I don't know him personally, but I, I do love his comedy. And he's like, have you ever said something where your brain says, say something else when you're right in the middle of saying another thing? And he's like, I was, I was going to say goodbye to my friends and I was going to say good luck. And while I was in the middle of saying good luck, something else in the back of your head says, say this. That's what my brain does while I'm preaching. He goes, I didn't say goodbye. I said, I was going to say, take care. And then my brain says, no, say good luck. And so I go, take luck. Take luck. When you need it, wherever you need it, take it. Take it with you. Luck. He was joking around, but sometimes my brain does that when I'm preaching. And so I'm like, take Jesus. I don't know. I used to get out of the car and they'd like, have a nice flight. And I go, you too. When you fly. I'm a doofus. I'm just going to get on the plane now. Good thing somebody else is flying the plane. You too. It's a funny bit. Anyways, I said all that so that you'd laugh a little bit because this is not a light matter. This is a heavy matter that we understand that we're a child of God, but sometimes we don't let ourselves be a child of God. My daughter never came up to me when we were going to go out in the yard and play or something. She never came up to me and said, Dad, what did bring you joy? to meet me therewith out in the yard and throw the disc item to and from each other. She never talked to me in a, you know, in some sort of strange way. She just said, you know, she just came in and said, Dad, want to play Frisbee? And we need to kind of have that kind of conversation with God where we just say, Dad, I need your help. Father, I need you to, to minister to the situation. And then we need to call on his name because his name has all power. We sing about it, amen? We're inspired by the fact that we have the understanding of what his name can do. There's authority, there's power, there's strength in that name. And then we need to claim God's promises in those prayers. We need to say, Lord, if you have anything in your life that you're struggling with, you can go find a, a place in the scripture where he answered a prayer like that. And you can take that up and you can hold on to it and say, God, I'm reminding you of when you did it before. And you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe you can do it for me. Amen. Don't ever think that God won't because he's already done it once. He'll do it again. And he'll do it for you if he's done it for anybody. And then we need to learn to plead the blood of Jesus Christ over things. That his blood and his sacrifice was perfect. And, and it, it, it calls to the Passover whenever the Egyptians were coming out of Egypt and they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And when the death angel passed by, he said, not this house because they're covered in the blood of the sacrifice. And the same thing's true whenever you plead the blood of Jesus. Now symbolically calling back to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you say, Lord, I plead your blood over my children when they go to school. Lord, I plead your blood over them when they're at school. I plead, them, I plead the blood over them when they're coming home. Every place where there's a transition. There's always opportunity and there's always vulnerability. Every place where there's a transition in your life, you need to go ahead and put the blood over. They were transitioning out of Egypt. They were headed out and they needed God to cover them and protect them. So any place of transition in your life, coming in and going out, Lord, teach us how to come in and go out. Teach us how to enter a job and leave a job. I'm sorry, that's in my mind right now because I'm doing the same. But teach us how to go in and out with our relationships with our husband and wife. Teach us how to go in and out when we deal with people and friends where praying for. Teach us how to do that and plead the blood of Jesus over that because we know that that is where God works the most. Amen? Is in times of transition. So let's keep being a child of God. And I've talked a lot, so I'm going to skip some of this. And praying through transition. What do we do when our prayers don't work? What have you done when your prayers don't work? 
When you pray and you feel like it just kind of bounces off the ceiling and lands at your feet, or you feel like you've prayed a prayer for a long time and you're still waiting on God to answer it. There are times whenever we feel like God's taking too long to do something. Have you ever been there? And like you feel like you're at the deli taking a, letter, a number and you're just waiting on your number to be called. But God's really working behind the scenes. You don't even see it because we are people that are physical in the natural world, but God is working in the spiritual world while it's going on. Daniel said the time is long, but the thing is true, amen? He was saying that whether you know it or not, God's already on the job. He's already working for you. He's already doing something with those prayers. And those prayers travel to heaven in a second, and they're eternal. So I'm grateful that as a human being, I live maybe in a natural world, but I can pray spiritual prayers, amen? Man. And those prayers get me through things, but I also know that prayers are eternal. You know I've talked about this before, that we are natural people with an eternal destination. We have a soul and a spirit that's going to live forever. And when you begin to pray, you tap into the spiritual side of yourself, and you walk through a doorway of spiritual strength, and you actually can pray a prayer that even when you have forgotten about it, even if you're waiting on some prayers that you remember, there are prayers that you can't even remember, but God has not forgotten them. He's still working on them. Amen. They're before his throne forever. And so when you take a moment right now, if you bowed your head right now and you said, Lord, would you bless this? That prayer becomes eternal from a, from a heart of an individual that prays an effectual, fervent prayer. And the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In other words, when you live with righteousness, when you live with a heart that's right, when you want to do right things before God, your prayers start to become very powerful, very effective. Amen. You guys know the story that there's a Motel 6 right here on the corner, and I was always driving by it, and I didn't even think about it. I, I just drove by it every day. It looked kind of dumpy. It's in Brookfield. Why is it here? I don't know. It kind of looks like it should be more in an inner city situation where it's not cared for and not loved very well because it's starting to fall apart. And, and finally, we, I, you know, I, I kind of have a connection with the police in town, so I kind of knew that there was problems going on in that hotel and things that I would never speak from a pulpit. I just want you to know there was a lot of sin taking place in that hotel. And, and finally, after the third shooting in that hotel in like three months, I drove by and it was ticker taped off and there were cops there in the morning and I was head of the church and I finally turned to it, Brother Dean, and I just said, Lord, clean it or close it in Jesus' name. And I felt it. I felt that prayer from the inside of my being. I was so sick of sin being that close to our church. And maybe it was just a righteous indignation moment. Maybe it was one of those moments. But I was just like, no, no more. I'm done. Have you ever had that moment where you're just like, Jesus, take care of it. It's got, it needs to be done right now. When you feel that moment, you need to go ahead and understand that you're praying through something. You're praying through a transition moment. And you, you've had something brought to your focus. And now you have a... a a choice to make, whether you're going to accept that thing being in your life or you're going to pray it out of your life. Amen. Oh, well, that's good preaching. That's worth the gas money to get here. And so I just turned and I said, Lord, close it or clean it up. You know, clean it or close it is what I said. That's all I said in Jesus' name. And that next week, the place is closed. It's still closed. Now it's for sale. Hopefully someone buys it and drops it and puts up something nice there. And I don't say that because of cavalier nature. I just say that because I was tired of the debauchery that was going on in that hotel. It doesn't need to be. We have to stand against sin, amen? We have to stand against the things that are pushing toward the spirit of the Antichrist. 
Amen. We have to stand against things. And that's what this church is here to do. We're here to depopulate hell as fast as, pop as possible and populate heaven. Amen. We're here to stand against the tide of immorality. We're here to stand against the things that push against the church and faith and, and try to tear down what God has built up. Amen. So that's what we must do is we must pray through those things. We cannot do it on our own strength. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. We're not talented enough. But when God gets involved, things happen that you can't even make happen. Things happen that you can't even fathom. Amen? And so God in Scripture shows us several times that he makes promises that he plans to keep. We know that God is truth. Amen? He's not a God that can lie. Some people say... Um, that God can do anything, but that's just simply not true. God cannot lie. It's his nature. God, God cannot get lost. <laughs> that's why he doesn't get lost. God is, it's impossible for God to not be everywhere. He is everywhere. He's omnipresent. It's impossible for God to forget something but he does cover things in the blood of Jesus Christ and cannot see them anymore. And it's impossible for God to lie. So a God who is truth incarnate and a God who cannot lie, why then in Hebrews 6.13 does God promise Abraham that there will be no one greater than him and because he could not swear by any greater, he swore by himself. Why does God need the, feel the need to swear his oath to Abraham when he's a God of truth? It's because there are times when we're going through things and we have promises of God and they seem like lies because we have no external stimuli that tells us that the promise is working. We have no evidence that God's promises are coming to pass. There are going to be moments in your life where you cling on to something in God and you hold on to it and it looks like everything's coming apart instead of coming together. And that's why God swore by himself. And that's why God says that there's no greater to swear by, so I, I swear by myself. Why would God need to? Why would God even do that? I thought we're not supposed to swear. God makes a covenant and goes to cussing? <laughs> no, that's not the case. What happens is here in the scripture, what God's saying is he makes a covenant and because there is no, there's nothing that can keep that covenant from coming to pass, he swears by himself because he's a God who always accomplishes what he has promised. In other words, he tells us not to swear because we don't know tomorrow. We don't know the next day. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know the change or transition that will be brought into our life. So we cannot swear and say, I swear I'm going to be there because we don't know what could happen to us. We don't know what disease could come or circumstance. But God said there's no greater than myself because nothing can keep my promises from coming to pass so if I'm going to swear I'm going to swear by something that is so true and so right and so true that you cannot stand by you cannot keep from standing by so he swore by himself because there was no greater and I love that verse because it encourages me because there are times when I look at things and I don't see a circumstance or a situation that can be brought to good and God also knew that Abraham, whenever he saw all this happening, whenever his flocks would be 
out of water and whenever God had promised him a seed and now his wife is without the capabilities of having a child and he's without the capabilities of bringing forth a child, that it's going to look like there's not going to be a promise come. There's not going to be a fulfillment that my children are going to be like the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. But God still performed it. He told Abraham, I'm going to do it. And Abraham came home, and I'm not going to get raided here, but he came home singing zippity-doo-dah, <laughs> zippity-day. And his wife, Sarah, goes, what are you so happy about? And he said, well, we're going to have a bambino. She's like, um, did you miss the science class, the, the, the biology class? Did you miss that part where this doesn't work anymore? I mean, we don't... We go to bed and we shake hands and say, see you tomorrow. And he's like, no, no, God has promised me a child. And God's going to bring it to pass. And God did. And we, the Gentiles, are grafted in. And we are of the seed of Abraham as the sands of the sea and the stars. God keeps his promises. If you will pray your way through it, you will not give up on his promises. He had to promise Abraham twice because it didn't look like it was happening. What about the other promises? Because there are moments, the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Anybody ever read that verse? Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. So God knew that Abraham was going to feel sick when he didn't see the promises coming to pass. And I'm grateful that I have this scripture to stand on because there are times when my hope gets deferred, what I hope in gets deferred or pushed off longer than I thought God, I thought God should be here by now. I thought I'd be further along in the promises of God by now. I didn't think I'd be doing anniversary 24 while I was un unemployed with, with the fact that I went on my honeymoon originally unemployed. That's really nice. Talk about a throwback. I didn't need that throwback in my life, but here we are. And then God keeps his promises all through all of that. And Abraham gets the promise of God, and he had to patiently endure and wait for that. Look at Joseph and his dreams. His dreams didn't have no, an Ishmaelite caravan dragged by a rope into Egypt. He didn't, he didn't have in those amazing great dreams an empty well pit, the mold of dungeons and jailhouses. None of that was in those beautiful dreams for Joseph, but God had to take him through it. And the only reason why Joseph got through it was he prayed his way through it. Amen? Those great dreams that God gave him didn't have any of that. And sometimes God gives us hopes and visions and thoughts and ways that we think it's going to happen and God will promise us things and God will fulfill it. But we have to understand that there are things inside the dream that can be a nightmare. And you have to live through the nightmare before you get to the dream, amen? What about David? Promised a throne, living in caves, running for his life, thinking the promises of God won't work. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Blood and tears matted to his face, promises a of a scepter from God and ends up with a sword in his hand, fighting for his life. The time has been long, but like Daniel said, it's still true. One day he sat on the throne and he was the king, just like God had anointed him with Samuel's anointing oil. 
God always keeps his promises. If you will pray through, you will not give up on the things you've prayed for, and you will not give up on the things that are still to come that you will pray for. Prayer is the most important thing the church does. This is supposed to be called a house of prayer, and the reason why it's supposed to be a house of prayer, first and foremost, we want to be a praying people, is because prayer changes everything. Prayer moves God, and God moves everything. Amen, somebody. And so we understand then the original text that I read where it says, confess your faults one to another and the Lord will heal you because hope deferred makes the heart sick. There are people that come to church that aren't sick in body, but they're sick in heart. They've been through so much, lost so much, They've been hurt so many times. They don't even know if they know how to love properly anymore. And they may not need a physical healing, but they need a spiritual healing. They need a heart healing. And that's what James 5, 14 through 16 says, and I'm closing. Is any sick among you? Look at this verse carefully. James 5, 14 through 16. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the what? In the name of the Lord, what we were singing about earlier. Look at the next verse. And pray the prayer of, and the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Is that what it says? Look at it carefully. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sin, they shall be forgiven him. This is one of the great verses that we actually use when we anoint people with oil. We have an oil thing here, and whenever people need prayer, we have them come down and we pray for them, and we anoint them with oil to honor this scripture. And the Bible doesn't say we pray for people that are needing healing only, but it actually mentions that the Lord will save the sick. In other words, when you get prayed for at church or when you get prayed for from a friend or, or, or whoever it is that prays for you. The Bible says you can anoint someone with oil and pray the fair prayer of faith and it will save them. It will pull you out of hurts from your past. It'll pull you out of places you have been damaged. It'll pull you out of places where you still think low of yourself. It'll pull you out of places that you don't even understand because when God shows up, he takes and he puts his cross in the ground where you prayed and he goes backwards and he gathers all the fragments of your past because he's the beginning to the end. He's alpha and omega. So he can go through time and he can pick up every place where you were hurt, every place where some part of your heart was broken off and fell to the ground and you thought, I'll never be able to love like that again. I'll never be able to serve like that again. I'll never be able to give like that again. But he'll go back and he'll pick up all those fragments of your heart and he'll reach into your future and he'll organize your future and he'll bring together the transitions and you can have a whole heart and you can have a, a healing and you can have a, a salvation that takes place from spirit man, the physical man, all the way through to your soul. And you can have a soul that says, I rejoice in the Lord who has healed me and who has saved me. I rejoice in the Lord, the God of righteousness. Scripture actually says in Hebrews 6.10 that God is not unrighteous to forget our labor of love. Your labor of love, the things you've done for the Lord. He's not unrighteous to forget them. He's a righteous God. So he remembers everything you've ever done for him. 
He remembers every effort you've ever tried to serve him with. He remembers everything that people took wrong, but you tried to help them. Every time you helped somebody and it just kept on going wrong, the gift that kept on giving, <laughs> you, you gave it with a good heart. If you did it unto the Lord, he remembers that. Because he said it's unrighteousness to forget your labor of love. But it's righteousness, and God has promised he will deliver. Whenever I started looking at security for a church, and I'm ending with this, you can stand if you'd like. Thank you, Brother Reese, for protecting us today. We appreciate you standing in a gap for us because we're all facing this way. And because of the world we live in, we are all considered soft targets because we're all facing one direction. But we have someone standing in the gap for us to keep us to watch at the door. And they started reading about security at a church and they say the most vulnerable places are when you're transitioning, transition places, egresses, places in and out because people are distracted. And when you're going through a very hard, difficult moment, you're distracted by the emotions of that moment. It's not only the greatest opportunity, but it's also the most vulnerable place in your life. And you, if you're not praying, you can misstep. You can slip and have a fault. And then it's good to bring those things to somebody you trust. And say, look, I, I'm not getting through this very well. I'm not walking through this situation very well. Can you pray with me? They may not be able to help you any other way but to pray for you, but that's all that's needed. Because when they pray and they have faith to believe that God's going to help you, God goes to work, amen. God goes to work to help you. And the truth of the matter is if you look at the first miracle in the book of Acts in chapter three, it's called a transitional miracle because Peter and John were headed into the temple and the lame man was being carried on to the place where he would beg. And Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. And they reached down and they took his right hand and picked him up. And the Bible says that he began to walk. The miracle that took place is called a transitional miracle. And it helps me to know that there are miracles in your transitions. Miracles when you lose somebody. Miracles when you walk through something. And God is trying to tell us that that wasn't the first time that people walked by that man that was begging on the way to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So many people had stepped over that miracle on their way to something they deemed more worthy. But where you are right now, God's putting your attention on your transition moments where you're trying to take a, a child from one school to the next or you're trying to move into a, a, a more, a, a more a position at work or whatever you're going through. There's, there's something that you can give to God and that in that moment, there's a miracle that you would run right by if you focus on where your goal is headed. But if you slow down just for a minute here today, if we slow down for just a minute, we might see a miracle in the works that we would have never picked up on had we not stopped for just a moment and prayed a prayer for somebody. And so Jesus gives us that story. 
in the scriptures, a miracle of transition. It's the first miracle where the Holy Ghost was poured out on the church. It's the first time that the disciples were doing a miracle without Jesus there to help them along with it. It's the first time you'll be able to stand with God empowering you on the inside with his spirit and see something happen in your life that forever changes somebody else and you. For when they went into the temple, that man went leaping. The Bible says he had never walked before, that he began, transitional word, he began to walk for the first time. That changed his entire life. No more going to the, the gate. No more shaking the cup. No more anything that he was, everything was changed. And so, yes, I like to say as a preacher, he was looking for the wrong change. Sometimes we're doing the same. We're looking for the wrong change and God actually has something else in mind. So maybe you're here today and there's a new change in your life. I wanna pray for you right now that you not only embrace that change, but you embrace the transition that comes with it. Would you bow your heads with me one time as we pray unto the Lord? Jesus, as we speak the word of God today and as we understand that you're most active in our times of transition because you protect us. When the enemy would come in, when the enemy would hit us at a vulnerable moment, when the enemy puts up a gift shop in the middle of our, our difficulties and says, why don't you give up on God? Why don't you buy this souvenir of what your faith could have been? I pray over somebody right now in the name of Jesus that they don't give up hope, that they don't give up the things that God has put in their life, the promises that he said to them. Every prayer ever prayed over anybody in this room right now, every prophetic word, anything ever said or done that they haven't seen come to pass, I pray through it right now in the name of Jesus that there's a transitional moment for somebody here that they prayed for change, it's come, but they need to transition through it. This is a metamorphous moment. This is a time of change in the spirit right now in somebody's heart and life. I ask it in the name of Jesus that somebody would be willing to stretch themselves into what you have called them to be and that this moment wouldn't be lost because we didn't pray through it. In Jesus' name I pray.